other tone, 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 tone. This is a true story. Dreptomaniacs uses dramatizations, primary sources, and the research of black historians to depict real events and historical figures. Today's episode stars Diamond Styles, Torre, and Jody Sims. Is liberation incompatible with capitalism? Usually, people who ask questions like this have been diagnosed with a rare mental disorder called acute dreptomania hyperblackness. But here at Dreptomaniacs Agricultural and Training State University School, we embrace those students who struggle with ADHD. From our Charles M. Case Center for the Performing Arts to the Afeni Shakur School of Law, we don't teach our graduates how to succeed in the real world. We teach them how to change it. And this year, we're proud to introduce our new economics curriculum with courses like White Peopleology 101, Caucasian Race Theory, and our reparations seminar, Bigots Better Have My Money. Our goal is to jailbreak the capitalist construct that has held Black Americans in a chokehold for far too long. Introducing the Mary Ellen Pleasant School of Securing the Bag. Mary Ellen Pleasant was more savage than Rihanna and Megan. She was the original city girl and Destiny's first child. But if you don't recognize her name, don't worry. That's why I'm here. I'm Blackonomics professor Michael Harriet, and welcome to Drapetomaniacs, the unshackled history of Mary Ellen Pleasant the real undercover boss. Fun fact, before I was called a white peopleologist or was nicknamed the Dean of Black Twitter, I earned a master's degree in macroeconomics and actually taught a course called Race as an Economic Construct, which led to some interesting questions. When we admire the success of bazillionaires like Oprah, Jay-Z, or any black person rich enough to put their electric bill on auto pay, what are we really celebrating? Are we applauding their ability to navigate a capitalist system? Or are we endorsing capitalism itself? Is it an accomplishment to reach the wealth and economic status that thousands of regular, degular white people have achieved? Are they required to help others do the same? Can money even buy privilege? More importantly, when one secures the bag, what's actually in that bag? Well, more than 200 years ago, one black woman proved that there is a way to navigate capitalism with integrity. To learn more about the complicated and formidable Mary Ellen Pleasant, let's go to the campus of Dreptomaniacs Agricultural and Technical State University School. Or that's us for those who don't know. That's us out, out here. here. That's us out here. All right, all right, all right, all right settle down. Hey, sit down. Get your feet down off that desk. This ain't your mama house. Yeah, get down, sit. And you take that hat off. All right. Welcome, all of you. Hello. I love to see your beautiful faces. My name is Mrs. Farizzle slash the truth slash 100 because I keep it just that. All right. 
I am your professor of economics and your professor of the hoodoo art. So what that means is don't mess with my money and don't try to put no roots on me because it won't work out for you or your ancestors. I'm really Got excited it? for this. This past summer, I worked at BlackRock. I was one of their black and gold mines, HBCU uh, interns. I want to make sure first that y'all in the right class before we get started. And I'm to understand that we have some new mature students who I am so pleased to see are getting their degrees. It is really never too late, y'all. So let's see. Um, where is Aunt April? That's me, honey. Okay. Yes. What about Aunt May? Yes, I'm here. Just so ready to be a good student. And uh, all right, all right. I see you got that Dooney and Burke. I know that's right. So what about Aunt June? Hey, hey, June, I'm still rocking that black lip liner. I see, no, it might come back. <laughs> are are y'all related? Because y'all kind of looking alike, like the point is this is We've been friends a long time, raised a lot of children. Hello, and- excuse me. I think they made a mistake on my schedule. It says this is Econ 301 slash African American History 302 slash African American Spirit Religion 301. The girl is late. And dressed like she came from the club. Actually, I did come from the club. I was hosting. And I made five bands this morning. Why did I have to join the adult education corner? But yes, honey, you are in this Econ 301 slash African American History 302 slash Afro Religion 202. It's all one class. And since you made such a grand entrance, maybe you can answer this first question I have about this photo right here on the board, which is, can you name this 19th century black woman entrepreneur who funded hundreds of black people to flee from slavery and later funded many civil rights initiatives in the state of California? Yes, yes, I know. Of course, that's Madam C.J. Walker. Eh, nah, you're broke. But shout out to them Harlem Renaissance parties. I bet they were popping. Miss Farizzle is talking about Mary Ellen Pleasant, period. Why, yes, that is correct, city girl. Ow. As a businesswoman, Mary Ellen was known for her entrepreneurship. And along with her second husband, John James Pleasant, and that's right, I said second husband. The first one don't always work out. They reported in 1875 a net worth of 30 million U.S. dollars, which today would be worth just shy of one billion. Second husband, let me find out. June, come look at this photo. I know this lady. She the type that only we know she's black. (laughs) I thought this was an African-American history class. Not a white passing highlight reel. Ooh, it's giving inner conflict for me too, Aunt April. Loving black billionaires is messy. Like, I know billionaires pretty much have to be evil because, um, capitalism. But also, I need that bag. I want to be a billionaire too, but I'm going to be a nice one. I probably would give it all away. You probably wouldn't be a billionaire then. Well, the reason you think that is because you've never heard of Miss Pleasant. Mary Ellen Pleasant controlled so much land and real estate that she became integrated in the wealthy and predominantly white social circles. But many of her assets had to be held in men's names because of the restrictions on women's banking at the time, (laughs) i.e. patriarchy. 
But she was smart enough to use it to her advantage. That black girl magic. <laughs> she was using her cunning instincts. She was blackmailing them. She was using her so-called exotic looks to control the most powerful white men in the city. She hired beautiful women to work in her brothels. And the black people that she rescued from the Underground Railroad, she got them jobs as servants in the homes of the wealthy white men in town. Then she got real slick with it. She had every single one of her workers to listen in on conversations that were being had at her bars and restaurants. Mary's spy network gave her detailed accounts of the wealthy white customers, political agreements, financial dealings, and even the illegitimate children that they was at. Now, when you're getting all the tea, you gotta keep it organized. So Mary kept extensive records. Gotta have the receipts. She reported every arranged marriage between wealthy men and her so-called protégés. But of course, instead of acknowledging her intelligence, people claimed that she was controlling these men with voodoo. Yeah, and I bet she wasn't really rushing to clear up any rumors about herself. Dudes always want to know, where you from? Ugh, bye. It's given need-to-know basis. Mm, later on in the semester, we will cover in-depth Black people who look like white people and whether or not we can simply just say that they were Black. But for these next few classes, we will be focusing in on the spirit-religion aspect of the curriculum. And we're going to talk to the dead lady billionaire? Yes! Go home, do your research on her, and come back with your questions. We're going to try to meet her where she's at. Mary Ellen Pleasant was actually a mystery. She was probably born on August 19, 1874. Maybe. Some records indicate that she was the child of an enslaved woman and John H. Pleasants, the son of Virginia's governor. But this powerful, well-respected white man didn't want anyone to know his secret. So when she was 11, Mary's father just gave his daughter away to a family of merchants in exchange for store credit. It was at that store on Nantucket Island, Massachusetts, where Mary would educate herself on economics, human relations, and the extraordinary power of self-liberation. We'll continue this episode right after this break. How does AI even work? Where does creativity come from? What's the secret to living longer? TED Radio Hour explores the biggest questions with some of the world's greatest thinkers. They will surprise, challenge, and even change you. Listen to NPR's TED Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts. What if millions of Black Americans had been compensated for slavery? Join me, Tremaine Lee, as I explore the untold story of one of the only Black Americans who ever was. I talk to his descendants and discuss how reparations forever change their family's trajectory and imagine a reality where reparations are paid to the rest of Black America. Into America presents Uncounted Millions, The Power of Reparations, a Black History Month series. New episodes drop Thursdays. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. Let's continue with this episode. Even though Mary Ellen Pleasant's father used her as a human gift card, his actions actually set her free. Slavery was illegal in Massachusetts, so she was technically now a servant who worked in a store owned by this Quaker family. With no formal education, Mary taught herself how to read and eventually became the retail clerk, 
customer service representative, sales manager, and store accountant. A few years later, Mary met and married James Smith, a wealthy Cuban abolitionist who used his flower fortune to secretly fund the Underground Railroad. Even the white abolitionists didn't dare snitch on them because James knew Santeria and voodoo, the Caribbean spirit traditions that combine West African Yoruba religions with Catholicism and native knowledge. James died after four years of marriage, leaving Mary with a large fortune and an even bigger secret. James wasn't Cuban. He didn't know no damn Santeria. He was just like Mary an interracial child of enslaved Black Americans and white slave owners. And when Mary learned that race was just something white people made up, she realized that she could do it too. And thus, Mary Ellen Pleasant was reborn. Sometimes she was the mysterious daughter of a Hawaiian sailor and a voodoo priestess who was a, quote, full-blooded Louisiana Negress. To enslaved people, she was a Black spy for the Underground Railroad and a slave stealer. Okay, back to class. I heard we getting witchy today. Welcome everybody. I hope everybody made sure they brought their all white. It could be anything white, long as you are comfortable and relaxed and open to receive the blessings of the ritual ahead. Mm, we're all going to relax and bow our heads and close our eyes and get comfortable and invite spirit in. Make Mary Ellen Pleasant feel welcome with your positive energy. Does anybody want to lead our first session? Well, I was thinking about the places that her ambiguous lineage would have allowed her to go. So I thought, let's try to find her at the opera. Mm, okay. Oh, there she is. I told y'all. She'd be here. Good evening, Mrs. Mary Ellen Pleasant. So excited to meet you. You look fantastic. Great concert, don't you agree? Good evening. These are wonderful musicians. No offense, but how did you get in here? Are you looking for a job? Are you one of the brothers that's just come with John from Virginia? No, no, but I did have another question for you. Oh... If it's good business, I'm interested. I know a speculator giving out loans at 10% interest rate. That's nice, but I've always been meaning to ask you because, you know, you look kind of, but you're also, where are you from? I'm the child of a voodoo priestess. Or maybe I was born enslaved and freed myself. And I don't know who sent you, but you can go back. Good night. Good job, billionaire boy. Oh, uh... I think my carriage is outside. Professor Farizzle, please, little help. Mm, I think we need to go. So, how do you feel that went? Terrible. I think I heard something interesting. When Billionaire Boy approached her, did you hear her ask about John? I think she was referring to one of the white men she knew really well. Abolitionist John Brown. You mean that white dude that was hanged for treason in 1859 after attempting a violent overthrow of the institution of slavery at Harper's Ferry in West Virginia? Yes, that John Brown. When he was hanged, the Confederate military found a signed note in his pocket that read, The axe is laid at the foot of the tree. When the first blow is struck, there will be more money to help. 
The U.S. military used the note as like a clue to get to the bottom of who was helping the insurrection. They were looking for some wealthy northerner abolitionist with the initials W.E.P., but they were misreading her handwriting. It wasn't W.E.P., it was M.E.P. The whole time it was Mary. <laughs> Mary Ellen Pleasant. Oh, period. So wait, how did she get all this money? Because I definitely need some of that abolitionist insurrection money like yesterday. Well, despite the fact that we don't know exactly where she was born, we do know that she was living in Nantucket Island when she met and married a wealthy Massachusetts business owner, James Smith, four years after they married. <laughs> he died. Oh, I know where I want to look for her. I think we need to find out if there's a reason why she would have needed to be so mysterious. We need to go to the first husband's funeral. Oh my God, this funeral is dead. Dear friends of this Quaker community, we are gathered here today to say goodbye to James Smith. Oh, I, I see know. again that we are the only black people here that are not at work. Ain't nobody in here wailing. And especially not her. You know nobody knows how he died. I read that. I heard he was abusive towards her. But I thought he was a staunch abolitionist. And? And he probably stole your great-grandpappy out of Virginia. Him and her both did. I heard she listed herself as white on the census for most of her life. Well, what else you have her do? I just know she was in the white people house collecting gossip and information. If you could, you would, honey. No the hell I wouldn't. And that's why you ain't got no money, honey. Yes, well, I heard he left her $10,000. Oh, $10,000? Okay, we gotta go. We didn't even get to talk to her. It's okay, Amey. Girl, you did good. Don't worry about it. Maybe another time. So, after the death of her first husband... I bet she wasn't single for long. Correct. While hanging out with the abolitionists on Nantucket Island, this is where she met her husband, John James Pleasant, in 1848. And her new boo worked as a cook on a whaling ship. So this allowed them to connect the escaping slaves to some ships that was going over to Nova Scotia because they had some black communities over there, y'all. And this was especially important after the Fugitive Act of 1850. You mean the federal act that required that people who found black people escaping slavery had to return them to their owners? Even if they were found in a free state? That act that also made the federal government responsible for finding, returning, and trying people who helped black people escape slavery? My goodness. Yes, that's the one. The new law made it too dangerous for John James and Mary to continue their abolition work in Massachusetts. Okay, but if it was me in 1850 and I was trying to hit a lick and free my homegirls, I would probably move to California. Gold rush, duh. Yep, and that's exactly what they did. Mary and her husband moved to San Francisco just in time for the California gold rush. But not before stopping in New Orleans. Oh, God, I love New Orleans. That's my second city, baby. Let's go there. I agree with Aunt May. I think we need to find out what was her motivation behind passing and why she wanted to be getting all this money. I think 19th century New Orleans is going to be a bit different than Essence Fest, don't you think? 
Don't do anything stupid. I can get y'all out of a concert, but I don't want to have to get y'all out of Jackson Square. Okay? The New Orleans monthly seance for entrepreneurs of color is officially commencing, sending regret that they are not able to attend today our Monsieur Coker, who is away in Mexico on a business deal. Dede, who is in Paris studying music, and Charles Martinez, who is building his new mansion. We have a special guest today, a bold supporter of abolition, who has come from Massachusetts, Mrs. Marie-Hélène Plaisant, and her husband, John James. And presiding over today's business seance is our esteemed and most treasured Marie Laveau. Besides coming from a prosperous family and being a connector of industrious people of color in business, Madame Laveau has also delivered a great many of our children. She has healed many of our sick community members, a woman of great power. Why doesn't he just say that she's a voodoo priestess? I think that might be implied. Merci for your attention. Merci all for coming to this important séance. We have a very special guest invité with us today, Marie-Hélène Plaisant. See, I told y'all, this is like the OG essence fest. Thank you, my dear, for the invitation. I will be frank with you all, as I know we are all in agreement that the mistreatment of people of color in the Southern states has got to end. I know many of you free people of color here in New Orleans are owners of enslaved laborers, and you live among them even as you work to help the less fortunate escape from more brutal conditions in other parts of the Louisiana Territory. Did she just say that rich, light-skinned Black people in New Orleans owned other Black people? Long story. I read about that one in my AFAM 504 seminar, Advanced White Adjacency. I like to help free more men, women, and children. My husband and I are prepared to take a number of people with us to California. Do you know what you are saying? The whites of Louisiana can be terribly nasty. I mean, look at what this awfully crass physician Samuel Cartwright has incited in this article. I met him yesterday with John James. He thinks I'm white. But you'll need money. Oh, damn. Oops. I wasn't supposed to say anything. Who is that? Um, hi. I'm a student at Drape the Maniacs A&T. Where? I've been following your work since Massachusetts and, well... I'm wondering if I can do something similar, like where I live. Well, young lady, I have $10,000 with me. And I think if I can make trouble, I must. But won't you need more? Where will all these newly freed men and women live when they get to California? They'll have to work. I've been manifesting some things. I am fully confident that you will have no problem. Thank you, Madam Laveau. Still, I want to know if you would... Consider, you know, teaching me some of your more mysterious ways of making things happen. You about to learn to do voodoo? Period. Does that mean you gonna tell people that you black? Ah, go away, girl. Let me show you some ways you can multiply, multiply your riches, your wealth, using mystery. You will multiply your wealth. You will take care of your community. You will never be caught. Yes, Madame Lavu. Come with me onto Bayou Route. 
You already know how to influence people. You're a natural. We'll continue this episode right after this break. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. (laughs) If these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. We're back. Let's continue with this episode. Now, during her Louisiana stay, Mary and her husband arranged for Black people escaping slavery to travel to California. When Mary arrived in San Francisco with a reported $15,000 in gold coin, she took a job as a domestic worker, earning roughly $500 a month, even though she was already worth nearly $500,000 in today's currency. Oh, so it was like a cover-up. I bet she was working in there, undercover, eavesdropping on all the white people, hearing about all the financial opportunities, bop, bop, looking out for what jobs were coming up that she could give to her people. Yeah, you could say that. She invested much of her money and her savings in real estate and other opportunities she overheard, (laughs) including gold and silver mines and oil. She also brought various local businesses. By the 1860s, she was the owner of a prosperous chain of laundry businesses, restaurants, and a series of boarding houses, where she still often disguised herself as just a mere servant. She was real slick with it. But if I remember correctly, I read last semester that women weren't allowed to bang during the 1860s. So who was holding all that money? You already told me she was passing for white. But was she passing as a white man too? Girl, Mary wasn't dumb. She split her money between a black Baptist preacher, an investment firm, and a white man who worked at a local bank. But when she amassed $30 million, equivalent to almost a billion dollars in today's currency, the banker helped her set up some fake accounts. Do you know anybody like that? Hmm, not right now, but did everybody know it was really her money though? Now in San Francisco, Mary earned her title as the Harriet Tubman of California because she was helping fund the Underground Railroad and helping new emancipated Black folks resettle away from them devils. She started hiring them in her numerous restaurants, boarding houses, and horse stables. She was known to be a one-woman social agency in California, providing relief to dozens of Black families. Period! Does she have a great-grandson? I bet he live in Oakland in a bad-ass mansion with all of his great-grandmama money. Do he own a winery? Why he not housing people in the Bay? I'm mad at him. Girl, I said you gotta remember that business partner. A white man at the local bank named Thomas Bell. 
That white man stole all her money? Not necessarily. In fact, their partnership was uh, very peculiar. They were friends, and the partnership continued until his death. But you know how funny stuff can get when the stuff is on the low. So after he died, the man's widow found the receipts. And since he was dead, Mary's money belonged to his wife. 19th century Karen. Well then, we need to go to that bank. Girl, me and my bank teller cut up. So I know that's where we'll really find out why Mary Ellen decided to cosplay as a rich white lady. Next. Oh, hi, Miss Pleasant. I haven't seen you here in a while. <sighs> yeah, well, not much reason to come in here. Your late boss's wife is giving me absolute hell, claiming that all my money belonged to him and therefore now her. I'm so sorry. I cannot believe it. When you got me this job, even I knew that he was holding the money for you. I hate to say it, but she's not the only white woman around here talking a lot of grease about you. I know it. They say I know voodoo. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny that more of them, these money-hungry California white people, haven't tried to tear you down before. I wonder what changed. Well, I had a lot of dirt on them. A lot of the men used to come to my boarding house and my bars on their night off. A lot of the women were socializing in my restaurants. I know where all the illegitimate children are living. Yeah, but I saw that you've been funding a lot of civil rights cases. And I heard that you're registered as black now, which I appreciate, but I'm worried that you're ruffling some feathers, so to speak. White people didn't know that you were helping a lot of us get free, but I'm sure they can find out about the civil rights cases. Segregation is outlawed on San Francisco's public transportation forever because of you. So what are white folks going to do if they are mad? They can't do jack. I own almost a thousand acres. One armchair in my mansion is worth more than a week's pay to drive that streetcar that they tried to say I couldn't ride. What are they going to do? But with all due respect, Madam Pleasant, you're running out of money. Well, all right, students, after our eventful seances with Mary Ellen Pleasant, I want to give you all a chance to share some of your research with the class. We'll go around in a circle, but if you want to just call something out, you can. Go ahead on April. Most of Mary Ellen's Pleasant's resources were depleted in her later years by the widow of Thomas Bell, who claimed that Pleasant's money belonged to Bell. Pleasant lost that legal battle in large part because her finances were so closely tied to Bell's that it was difficult to prove what was hers alone. She still had her investments in property, but the bulk of her money was lost helping others. Her activities were never known to whites until she dictated her autobiography and revealed her secrets, including the greatest one of all. Before I pass away, I wish to clear the identity of the party who furnished John Brown with most of his money to start the fight at Harper's Ferry, who signed the letter found on him when he was arrested. Mary spent her last years in a 30-room mansion where she died in 1904 at age 90. If America is an experiment in capitalism and democracy, then Black Americans have never been included. Being Black in America 
means never having full access to the democratic process. It means everyone else will be able to capitalize from your labor and intellectual property. But race is not just a social construct. It is an economic construct. It has value because someone assigned a value to it and everyone else believes and accepts it. Like money, like wealth, like whiteness, it is something that white people made up. And by making up her own story and assigning herself a different value, Mary Ellen Pleasant proved that money, privilege, and even the color of one's skin does not necessarily negate one's humanity, kindness, or generosity. Cash does not have to rule everything around us. America's apathy is a choice. Mary Ellen Pleasant's life as a ruthless capitalist and dedicated abolitionist, a savage and a humanitarian, proves that the fault is not with capitalism, but whiteness itself. Mary Ellen Pleasant didn't just teach us how to secure the bag. She showed us who the bag could secure. That's us. Out here. That's us. Out here. That's us. Out here. Hmm. I fuck with her still. On the next episode of Drapetomaniac's Unshackled History, we go behind the scenes at the Drapetomaniac's rap party to learn about the making of the podcast. Drapetomaniacs is a collaboration between Other Tone, Sony Music Entertainment, and Queer Media. This podcast is produced by Nolika Radway and Moses Shoyola, with senior producer Janicia Francis, managing producer Joanne DeLuna, production coordinator Homero Radway, and production assistant Jillian Roberts Atkinson. Executive producers for this show are Pharrell Williams and Scott Venner. Our writing team includes Taylor Lamel, Roderick Morrow, Danielle Solomon, Dallas Rico, and Randolph Terrence Sturdivant. Special thanks to voice actors Leela Gray, Aisha McCutcheon, Kim Baum, Allegra White, Nolika Radway, John Etienne, LaPortia Thomas, and Olaranke Akinmowo. Our sound engineer is Tony Paulson. Our fact checker is LaPortia Thomas. Music supervisor is Patricia Wangeshi Kihoro. The theme song is Freedom by Pharrell Williams. This episode featured Diamond Styles as Professor Farizzle, Toure as Black Billionaire, and Jody Sims as City Girl. Read more by Michael Harriet at thegrio.com.